Glory to God. How many are up on Facebook today and saw the introduction? That's why I put them up there so both of you can see it. Oh, my. I gave you a little heads up last week as some of the things we will get into here, but we're going to be over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Last time we were looking at Hebrews, and we saw about the mature and the immature, how to become mature and leave behind immaturity, as well as how to find some people in your life that are mature. But this week we're going to take a look at when our focus is on the kingdom of God, loving and serving the saints and growing ourselves spiritually. We are of great benefit to the kingdom of God. But when we lose focus by becoming focused on ourselves, focused on the faults of others and the shortcomings of our God and His Word in our life, we become a draw on the kingdom and the purposes of God. We needing to benefit from the kingdom instead of bringing benefit to it. That's why it's important that we get our focus right. Now, knowing this, the enemy works to get your focus off of what it should be, what God has purposed it to be, and what I feel I need it to be. Now, how successful has he been in your life to get you to focus on what you feel instead of what God has said? Now, as I was coming over, and it's already after I wrote up your outline and my outline, this dropped down in the inside of me. If we don't become mature in this life, how likely are we to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest? If we don't become mature in this life, how likely are we to hear from the words of God, from the words of Jesus when we come into the kingdom, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. I know we all want to hear that. While we are down here on this, this earth, it is our goal to make sure we become mature. There are people that God has put in your life to help you reach that. Sometimes the enemy gets us to disqualify them and to push them out of our life. We've got to make sure we don't do that. We've got to hold strong to the things that God has said. God is always growing us up. I'm not saying that you have to become perfect. I'm saying you have to become mature. Maturity is reachable. You can become mature. There's a certain place that you get that you can say, all right, that person's mature. When your kids are growing up, you say, oh, look at the maturity in them. Look at the immaturity. You can see it. We're going to take a look here at 1 Corinthians. There's some, some principles here in this chapter we need to get hold of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 1, Paul opens the letter this way. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is in, at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's his introduction. And then he goes right into this. I want you to take note of this verse. This verse is very important. It's so important, I put it on the cover of your bulletin. 
for both of you who saw the Facebook announcement, you'll see that I put it on there too. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. I thank my God, how often? Always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. How many, you don't have to become a Bible scholar for this, but how many of you know that the church of Corinth had issues? They had problems. They had some major problems. Paul writes this letter to correct a lot of the problems. They had problems in transferring over from the life of idolatry to a life of walking after God in the Spirit. And they were not differentiating between those two worlds too well. Immorality was still in the church. There were a lot of problems in this church. And what does, God, what does Paul say about him first off? I thank my God always concerning you. Now think of people in your life that have problems. I'll bet you that some of the people in your life don't have the problems that they had in Corinth. They didn't have the immorality. They didn't have the idolatrous practices. They didn't have the immaturity that was, was there. And you can go on because this, this is a long letter. He addresses a lot of issues there. We have people in our life that do not have as many problems as this church does. Is it still down? All right, we'll see if that stays there. And yet Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you. How much time do we spend thanking God for the people that are in our life? Or do we focus on the problems that they have and the issues that they bring? Well, they are, I wish they weren't this way. Well, I wish they'd stop doing this. And this is not just about you know, people in the body of Christ. This is also about family, spouses, children, in-laws, outlaws. whomever it might be, we can begin to think, oh, those people. Now, if you want to see how thankful you are for people being in your life, watch your response when they call you. Oh, it's them. You do not qualify for what Paul is doing. I thank my God always concerning you. If you see them in the store, you don't duck out and hide in, a, in another, another aisle. We could stop right there and just try and get that going on in our life. That could be a job. I need to get to the place where I look at the people that are in my life and I don't see their shortcomings. I don't see what's wrong with them. I don't become mindful of all the things they're not doing right that I wish they would do differently. And I say, Father God, I thank you for that person in my life. I thank you for the way that these, these folks are in my life. I thank you for the things that they're doing for me. Thank you, Father. You saw that I needed that kind of a person in my life, and you supplied me with it. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Despite their problems, Paul is thankful for them. 
If Paul can be thankful for the Corinth, the, the Corinthian Christians, you can be thankful for the people in your life. If you, um, if you have a little one in your, in your house, place that you want to visit over Christmas, and you saw an attitude of unthankfulness with them, what does that do to you? Does it change the way that you want to give them things? Does it change the way that you want to deal with them? Just because of that unthankfulness. You saw the, the quote in the bulletin this week that came from Brother Creflo. It was good. If you didn't read it, read it. That came right out of the teaching. I know we did a double, double on Creflo. I know. But it was good. And it's a New Year's message. And since it's just a little bit past New Year's, it's a good thing for us to, to be able to get a chance to see. And so I hope you take time to listen to it. And um, as Ethel was, was talking about the part of the last one that ministered to her, I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Angel this week. Gave some of you the update on, on that on, on Wednesday on how she's doing. And she has another test that she goes back for uh, this Wednesday. But we were, I, she had sent me a note. She said, hey, can we talk tomorrow? And so I said, absolutely. I said, here's a video teaching we just put up for our church. Listen to it. So she wrote me back. She said, Rick and I are, that's her, that's her husband, we're, we're sitting down watching it right now. And so they watched it, and after she got done, she sent me a note on back. But we were talking the next day, and she brought up exactly the same story <laughs> that Ethel did about the, um, about if, if God's going to heal all of them, and they aren't believers, surely he's going to heal me. She brought up the exact same thing. And uh, that was just a, a good one. I surely in, enjoyed it. They were, they were good. They, um, as we continue to do, and I don't know how long we're going to do it. I'm not promising we're going to do this every week, but as long as we keep on, on doing this, you are going to get a pretty decent diet of uh, Creflo. Just be warned, you will get a pretty decent diet of uh, Brother Creflo. There, I, I was telling Daryl in the back there, at, in my week, I will listen to anywhere from 10 to 15 sermons during the week, just to, just to listen. Now, in order for that to happen, you have to hold my interest. In my mind, when it comes to the Bible, I, I know just about all of it. I mean, not, not know it to the point that I know everything about it, but you could tell me a story, and I know it. It's already I'm coming up with the details of it. And so these people who talk about the Word and get things wrong, it frustrates me. And I generally end up turning them off. If I tune in people and they take 30 minutes to make a point, I'm not coming back. If, if you're not digging into the Word, see ya. I don't need to hear people, you know, just talking about stories. You better get into the words then. Now, some of the ones we put up there, they are storytellers. And uh, we'll throw in a few, you know, Jesse's and, and things like that. They're storytellers. They're not, made to be, they're not there to be a teacher. But when I want to sit down and I want to get into the word, Brother Creflo is one of the main ones I do because he fires it at me fast. And he gets into the word, and I like it. And I like somebody who'll step on toes every now and then. And he'll do that. And uh, Brother Keith is another one. So you'll get a lot of those guys. If you want to find something else, you go out there. Now, you can tell me somebody that you, you, you're listening to and that you really enjoy, and that's fine. You can come tell me about it, and I'm, if I haven't heard them, I'll go listen to them. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of other people out there I know, but they, um, they, they don't say a whole lot. I want somebody, who, you better say some stuff. Brother Creflo, boy, he throws it at you. You can't enjoy him. I don't know. Maybe sometimes he's, he's just a little too much. For some people, but 
I thoroughly enjoy them. So you will get a lot of Creflo. I'm not apologizing for that. I'm just letting you, making you aware. I really enjoy him, and uh, I hope you get to as, as well. But here, finish reading this, that you, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Look at the things he's, he's thankful for. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Boy, that's a different picture than the one we always get when we read, the, read it. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. Well, it seemed like they were abusing the gifts, but he says you come short in no gift. You are pursuing them, you are going after them, waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he doesn't just say, I'm thankful for you. He lists some things that he is thankful for. He didn't just throw out a term. He didn't just say something. I'm, I'm thankful for you. Sometimes people will come up to you and say, oh, I really appreciate you. Really? What do you appreciate? Well, uh, uh, <laughs> maybe there wasn't a whole lot there anyway. They just wanted to say it. But he's actually giving them, this is what I'm thankful for. So he speaks about what they have going for them. They were enriched in all utterance and knowledge. The testimony of Christ was confirmed in them. They came short in no gift, and they eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ. There's a lot to be said when you eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ. It means you've made preparation. You're ready for him to come back. He's not coming back as a surprise to you. Now, how many people do you have in your life, and what do you speak most about them? If you, find, if you listen to people, how they speak about the people in their life, how they speak about their spouses, how they speak about their children, how they speak about their uh, other uh, their brothers and sisters and other relatives that are in the family. If you hear how they speak about their co-workers, if you hear how they speak about their neighbors, if you hear how they speak about their bosses, if you hear how they speak about whatever it might be, if you listen to them, if you tune in to what it is that they're saying, this is telling you who that person is. Are they finding things good, or are they finding things that are bad? Are they complaining, or are they rejoicing? Now, in chapter 3 and verse 1, he calls this church carnal and babes in Christ. Paul calls this church carnal and babes in Christ. But he's thankful for them. He's thankful. They may have problems, but apparently they also have some good traits. If they have some good traits, they can add some things to you. If they have problems, they, you don't want to add those things to you. But even people, get this part down, even people in your life right now that have problems have something good they can add to you. When you look at Jesus and the 12 disciples that he picked, how many of you all know they had problems? And yet Jesus picked them because they could add good they had good that they could bring. If he focuses on the bad, 
he's not going to get that good out of him. He's got to stay with thinking on the, on the good. Now, the enemy tries to get our focus off the good and onto the bad. He tries to get your focus off the good of your spouse and onto the bad of your spouse. He tries to get your focus off the good of your children and onto the bad of your children. He tries to get you off the good of your co-workers and onto the bad of your co-workers. He tries to get your focus off the good of your boss onto the bad of your boss. No matter who is in your life, his role is to get you to focus on the bad, not the good. If, get this down, if the, if the devil, if his kingdom is trying to get your focus off the bad, or off the good, onto the bad, if that's what his purpose is, if that's what his focus is, get your focus off the good, get your focus on the bad. That's his role. He's called the accuser. He's going to be accusing people. Don't you see what they did? Don't you see what they're doing here? Don't trust them in here. He's the accuser. This is what he's doing. If that is the role, of Satan and his kingdom, what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Would not the role of the Holy Spirit be the direct opposite? To get you to focus on the good? You might think there might be a verse of scripture in the Bible about focusing on the good of people. Wouldn't you think that? Oh, there is. (laughs) Doesn't he say meditate on these things that are good? Doesn't he think, say, think the best about people? Doesn't, it's, this is the role of the Holy Spirit. So how is it that people who consider themselves to be spiritual are always finding fault with the people in their life? Well, amen. Preach on, preacher. Preach on. <laughs> how is it that people think they are hearing from the Holy Spirit as something spiritual is pinpointing all the faults of the people in their life. How is it that we cannot recognize that this does not come out of heaven? And yet we listen and we yield and we speak from it. Now I put this in. I want to make sure you got this. If I cannot see any good in someone, then they will not be any good for me. If I cannot see any good in someone, then they will not be any good for me. That's why we got to start looking out for the good in people. Everybody look at your spouse if you're married. Look at your spouse. Don't look at me. Look at your spouse. I will find good in you. <laughs> yep, the kids aren't here right now, but sometime during this week, your assignment is look at your kids. I will see the good in you. Stop, stop seeing the bad. If you keep seeing the bad, pinpointing the bad, talking about the bad, what are you going to get? You're going to get more bad. If you want to get more good, work on that. If you keep pinpointing the bad out of your spouse, what are you going to get? So, whose fault is it that your spouse isn't what they should be? Stop blaming your spouse and point the finger at yourself. I am the reason. Why is it that I don't have better co-workers? 
Why don't I have better co-workers? Well, the boss doesn't hire good people. No, wrong answer. The right answer is, the fault is with me. You see, if I find the good, if I find the good, then they can become good to me. I had a story I told many years ago. I don't think I've told it recently, but some of you might remember this thing. But way back when I was a youth pastor, and I loved being a youth pastor. I knew God did not call me to be a youth pastor, but I knew for the time that I could be a youth pastor, and I was a youth pastor for a few years. And while I was there, and I took it over, this youth, this, this uh, particular youth group was a problem in the church. It was a big problem. Every time they had a board meeting, the board would talk about what they had to fix, what they had to stop, what they had to address that the youth group had done. And so when they put me in charge of the, of the thing, uh, we had to try, try and, and stop some of these issues. And one of the issues had a name. His name was Robbie. Robbie was a problem. Robbie did not have a father in his life. Robbie had a mother, and the mother was very weak and pretty much let Robbie do anything that he wanted to. Now, Robbie was a young teenager and was a smoker. How he got them, I don't know. But he would be known to sneak out of youth group outside of the church and light up a cigarette. He would be known to say things that church people shouldn't be saying. He would pick, pick fights, all sorts of stuff with other people. And he was a problem. He was breaking stuff, mischief like you wouldn't believe. If you had a night and you had youth group and you had a night and Robbie didn't show up, as the youth leader, you breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, this is going to be an easy night. But you see, I learned way back then if you can't find the good in someone, they won't be any good to you. And so what I had to do was set out to find some good inside of this young man who was nothing but trouble. The only reason he came was his mom insisted that he come and she dropped him off and she would pick him up. And so he was there. He was our problem while he was there. She got a little bit of a reprieve. And so we were working with him and uh, I, I take it as spiritual inspiration, but I saw him move some of the chairs. Back when we had youth group there, we would set up these chairs, and we had basically a, a circle. And everybody was basically in the front row then. We didn't have any back rows. This is one of our ways to get rid of the back rows, and some of the problem people are in the back row. There no longer is a back row. Everybody's in the front. So we had a big circle. Everybody sat in the circle. And so this is what was going on. Well, it took up most of the room, and so he wanted to do something, and he began to move some of the chairs out of the way. And so immediately I saw that. Robbie, thank you so much for helping us to clear out these chairs. Usually I have to do this later on, but I really appreciate that you came after this and started doing it now. Now he didn't. <laughs> but it's the first time, I think, in his life that somebody assumed he was doing something good instead of assuming that he was doing something bad. And so that set out a thing for Robbie. After the meeting was over, Robbie began to take up the chairs. And I make sure I noticed. We would talk about it. Robbie, I appreciate you doing that. And Robbie began to change. And then just stay with the chairs. He went to some other things. And I remember the night, it may have been 40-some years ago, but I still remember the night that he came to me and he said, Steve, 
I need to go outside and get something. I am not going to smoke. I just need to go out and get this and I will be right back. I looked at him and said, Robbie, I appreciate you coming and telling me. Go ahead. And I extended trust to him. He went out and did what he had to do. He came right back, right up to me. I am back. <laughs> to let me know. And we set on a path and his behavior improved. His interest in God improved. He actually began to do some beneficial things in the group. He began to participate. Things changed in the life of Robbie. Robbie was no longer a problem. Now we went from, oh, Robbie's coming tonight, to the point, where's Robbie? Why is he not here yet? And we would actually look forward to him coming because we were seeing him change week after week as the Word of God got inside of him and as things changed. One day he disappeared. His mom got offended at something and went to another church. And I don't ever know what happened to Robbie. But it still taught me a lesson. If you cannot find the good in a person, that person will never be any good to you. You've got to go find some good. There's good inside everybody. It may be little, but I'll guarantee you, just like Robbie, if you find that little and focus on it, that little will become more. This will work with your kids. This will work with your spouse. This will work with your coworkers. This will work with your boss. This will work with your neighbors. Why? Because it's a spiritual principle. Find the good in people. This is what Paul's doing. He's not letting his focus get on the negative. We've got to deal with some of this negative stuff, but I want you to know, I see there's good in you. I see the good that's happening with you guys. Now, you look at all the people in the world, who do you have the most ability to change? Yourself. Everybody look at your spouse again. Who do you have the best success changing? When you get home this week, look at your kids. Who do you have the best success changing? When you show up at work this week, Look at your coworkers and say to yourself, who do I have the best success changing? If you want to bring change into your work situation, if you want to bring change into your marriage, if you want to bring change into your kids, if you want to bring change into your family, if you want to bring change into your neighborhood, the change starts with you. You have the best success of changing you. Now, since... You have the best success changing you. And of all the people that are in your life, you will have more success changing you than anyone else. Who will God speak to you about the most? Yeah, yourself. If you hear in this realm of the Spirit something coming to you about someone else, be a little suspect. Test the Spirit's. Because usually, the kingdom of darkness is telling you how good you are, how right you are, and how wrong everyone else is. But that is not God's MO. It's not how he works. So as soon as that begins to happen, just start laughing. Devil, you gave yourself away. I know it's you. 
If our insight and our wisdom is coming from a source that wishes to divide, we talked about this some on Wednesday and some on, on Sundays, the enemy is trying to divide. It's always trying to divide because he knows that divided, we accomplish less. We looked at the Tower of Babel. We saw that that's a place that he probably learned that. If you divide people, they won't accomplish a whole lot. If our insight and our wisdom is coming from a source that desires that we be divided, why should, we be, why should there be any surprise that we are? If husbands and wives are divided, it is probably because you are listening to the wrong wisdom and the wrong insight. If you are divided with your children, it is probably because you are listening to the wrong wisdom and the wrong insight. If you are divided at work, it is probably because you are listening to the wrong wisdom and the wrong insight. Because God is not trying to divide, but the enemy is. Let's go on here. Did we get, we got away through nine, didn't we? Yes, we did. Verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. It doesn't mean that you all have to agree. It just means don't be divided. Now this word here, pleads, is the Greek word parakaleo. It means to call for, exhort, or encourage. There are five primary domains for the use of this word. The first is a general meaning to call someone. If you were in a mall, if you were in a store, and you called for somebody out there, that would be this word. To summon or to send for someone. So you don't necessarily see them where you call out to them, but you send a message. Maybe in our day, we would say a text message. You would send a text message, hey, I need to talk with you, hey, I need to see you. You would send a message to summon, summon them or send for them. A third is to exhort or encourage. To exhort or encourage would be a use of this word. A fourth would be to, to require or demand. And the fifth is to, to beseech or implore, which is the meaning here. Now I plead with you, brethren. I don't see that he is demanding this of them. I don't see that he's making a general call to someone. I don't see those other meanings coming in. But this fifth one, to, to beseech or implore. I beseech or I implore that you speak the same things and there be no division among you. So now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. So Paul's desire is that they be joined perfectly. But something is coming into their midst and getting them to become divided. 
well, I, I like Apollos. I think Apollos is the best teacher that there is. He's the guy. No, Apollos, oh, he's... Ah. No, Paul's better. I got you both beat Peter. I heard him preach. Oh, boy, the stuff that he does. And they become of one another. Well, why can't you be of Paul, of Apollos, and Peter? Why, why do you have to decide with one? But you see, there is that same emphasis that we saw on some of our Wednesday night sessions and also on the Sunday. There's this singular focus that the enemy likes to get people into. Singular focus. What it, and back in the uh, World War II days, what was the singular focus in Germany? I mean, most people will know this. What was the singular focus? What there was everybody supposed to be focusing on? Jew or not Jew? That was it. If you were Jew, then you received certain... Pers- we don't care about anything else. Child, adult, older person, male. Fe- we don't care about any of that. All we cared about is, are you a Jew? We singularly focused on that and used that as a purpose of, um, uh, to exterminate some people. We saw bef- in, in this country, we had a singular focus on skin color. We've had a singular focus on the type of religion. We've had singular focus on uh, just, just so many different things. But it's, everything's on that. Right now, what's the singular focus? Are you vaccinated? See, we don't care about anything else. Yeah, we don't even care about skin color anymore. All we matter is, did you get the jab? And if you did, then you're on this part. And then if not, you're over here. And so we, and then we divide on that. That's part of the pit of hell. It wants you singular focused, and because of that singular focus, you divide. That is not a, that is not a thing with God. I don't have to become singularly focused to be united with you. There are some people that we, we talk about some issues, and I'm not in agreement on some of the thing, same things that they see. But it doesn't mean that we have to divide. So Paul's desire is that they be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. But instead, they're polarized towards various leaders in the church. And, you know, it might be today, well, I'm a Rick Renner. Or, you know, whoever it is that you, that you get, and whatever you get, well, they're substandard to whoever it is that you, that you follow after. And uh, just don't, don't do that. I have certain people that I really enjoy, but I totally understand uh, some other folks. My wife was talking about someone, and uh, she actually has a couple, three or four different ones that she'll listen to, and I tried to listen to them. I even came to her. I tried to listen to them. I tried. I gave it a shot. I could not get through. <laughs> and so I just, and she said, well, that's fine. And that, that's good. I listened to some people, and she said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't like that. It's getting too much of this for it. And, and that's fine. We don't divide over it. And when she comes into the shop and she helps me do some sanding, I find somebody that I know we both like and we both agree on and we both can enjoy. There's no reason. I'm not going to try and force her to listen to somebody that she doesn't necessarily like because it's not going to work if she tried to force me to listen to somebody I don't like. We don't have to come into agreement on that. I'm just glad she's got some people in her life that she can listen to and receive from. And she'll sometimes tell me some of the things that they're, they're sharing and doing. But watch out for that singular focus. That does not come from God. Even here, you're going to see there's a spiritual emphasis on a carnal matter. 
And so people don't realize that it's carnal. They think this is spiritual. Well, it's spiritual to be of Apollos. No, it's carnal, he's saying. It's carnal. It, it, it has the appearance of being spiritual, but it's not. It's carnal. Get it out. You don't want to be doing that sort of thing. In uh, verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Very often, we're out there in the world, and we enjoy. How many enjoy being a Christian? I mean, you wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning, as cold as it was to get on out. You would not have gone through all that to, to put the coats on and to feel the cold on your face and to start up that car. How many people still have the old-fashioned cars yet they go out and turn them on? I still have one of those old-fashioned. Mine's a key. Mine's a key. No, no push button. There's no push button. You put the key in the ignition and you turn it. My, my granddaughter is loving going out to the van and starting it up. They have a push button on, on theirs. And all you have to do is have the fob, you know, in the, in the car. You push the button all that sort of thing. And so uh, she, she just loved it. said, well, if you want, you know, when you go home with, go home with me, you can, um, you can start up the truck. The truck's the old-fashioned kind. And so she got on in there. And it took us a little bit to, to figure out exactly what to do because we're, we're not used to the, to the crank. And so she put it in and she turned it. And it's not on. I mean, the radio's on. You know that little spot there? The radio's on, all the stuff's on. But it's not on. <laughs> and so, I said, oh, you just didn't turn it enough. And so I didn't do it for her. I just sat back and said, just turn it some more. Keep on going with it. And then she did it. She heard it fire up. You know, I have a truck. It's not those little tiny. <laughs> and she, oh, well, she, she, she liked that one. And so that can be, that can be kind of fun. But there's, you made an effort to get out here. There's people in this world who would not make an effort to get out to church if it was sunny and nice, if it was rainy, if it was... And, and no matter what it is, they don't see it worthwhile to go out. But you're not that way. You've, you've come into a knowledge of God. Hang on a minute. Let me see if I can get this thing to hang on a little bit better. God has ministered to you. God has opened up. He's brought light into your, into your life. You get that peace, that joy in the worship service. Then you wouldn't miss it. Oh, you look forward to coming together and to having that time. But there's other people. They think, oh, that's foolish. Why in the world do you want to show up there and, and be in church and, and do all these sort of things? Oh, no, I don't want to be, be doing it. It's foolishness to them. There's a lot of things that are wise to God. There's a lot of things that are beneficial that God has said this will help you that to the world... They say it's foolishness. It's ridiculous. This is not helping. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we see certain things from God. Oh, this is powerful. Oh, this is good. We could sit in a service and enjoy the worship and enjoy the word and enjoy the fellowship and enjoy all the aspects of it and come out and say, oh, oh that was just so good. Oh, I was so glad I came out here today. I just feel so much ener more energized, so much better, so much more filled with joy. And somebody else would come on out. You brought somebody with you. They're not saved, and they're looking at their watch. How uh, much longer? I'm almost, almost done out of here. And they're not getting the same thing out of it. Why is that? See, because to them it's foolishness. 
It's just foolishness. You have to understand that some of the things that you see as the wisdom of God, the world will see as foolishness. And you can explain it to them the way you see it all you want. It's not going to help. For a lot of those people, until they get to a place where they need God, they don't care. They aren't going after, after any of that. But it's foolishness. You look at some of the things that they're doing right now. You know, People are getting a little bit fed up with, with all the insistence that... Uh, People take this shot, and after you got the first shot, then you got to get the second shot. After you get the second shot, you got to get the third shot. After you get the third shot, you got to get the fourth shot. After you get the fourth shot, six months later, you got to get a fifth shot. Then you got to get a sixth shot. Then you got to get a seventh shot. Then you just keep on going. I mean, in one year, can you imagine being told you have to have three shots when at first you're only told you had to have one or two? And we're not even through the first year yet. And so some people are getting a little bit fed up with this. I don't think this is really working. I don't think this is really doing what, it, what it's supposed to. And then, of course, they came out here in the last couple of weeks and they're telling you, all right, well, you need to get the shot now. It may not keep you out of the hospital. It may not keep you from getting sick and it may not stop you from spreading it. <laughs> Why are we doing this? And so to some other people, it's coming up. That's uh, possible foolishness too. But regardless of what we view from the world, how do we view the things from God? For the message of the cross is foolishness. It's, it's, why do I need to believe that somebody came down from heaven, became a man, lived a life above sin, died on a cross for me? Why do I need to believe that? Why do I need to believe that he was wrecked to red? It's foolishness to them. You're telling me that's how you get saved by believing? That's ridiculous. What do you, have, you don't have to do anything. You don't got to be good. You don't got to uh, do all this other stuff. No, you just got to believe that Jesus Christ, and if you have that belief, make him Lord of your life, you're going to do some changes in your life. But you see, it's foolishness to them. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. In the last couple of weeks, boy, have we ever seen what they had pitched as wisdom. They can't pitch as wisdom anymore. You even got the New York Times and the Post and whoever else. I even heard that some, CNN has even had to come out there and, and back. I don't listen to CNN. I would never waste my time. I hope nobody here does. That whole place could come crashing down and I wouldn't know about it. And it wouldn't bother me at all. I would destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This is what God will do. Stand on the side of God and you won't have to change. If you follow after the things of God, you won't have to alter. This is what we need to do. When we... When we follow after the world and judge people by outward appearances. When we follow after, this is how the world does it. The world judges on outward appearances. I judge you by whether you got a shot. I judge you by the color of your skin. I judge you by your education level. I judge you by how you talk. I judge you by what kind of car you drive. I judge you by how you dress. I judge you by how you wear your hair. And don't think you're above that. How many times have you ever seen somebody who comes up dressed with hair different than you and immediately thought is, hmm, why, are we, why in the world are we, are we having hair like that? And it, it, see, it can make you take a, take a pause on that. Just something that simple. Because the world wants you to judge on that word appearance. How does God judge? Judges by the heart. And yet, in the church, in the church, we're not talking about out in the world, in the church, how many of you remember some, uh, some holiness Pentecostal churches that if you walked in with makeup? (laughs) 
Yeah, that's not, that's not happening. You'd be kicked out, get that makeup off. Why? Because we're judging on appearances. How many know some churches that if you walked into the church in blue jeans? If you walked into church with a hat? If you walked into church without a hat? They judge on appearance. How many things in the church have been done on appearance? This is what the enemy wants to try and get us to, to fall into. Judge on the appearance. You ever hear that story of a pastor who took over a church? And the, the first Sunday that, that they were there, there was a homeless man who was out on the, on the uh, doorway of the church. And he was begging for things from people. And no one would give him the time of day. No one would deal with him. And so uh, the church service went on. And people were anxious looking for the, who their pastor was going to be when he was going to be introduced. And after the worship service was over, the pastor came walking down the aisle and he was the homeless man sitting outside. And he took off all of his stuff that made him appear homeless. And he said, I want you to notice, I noticed that when you all came in here, you didn't pay any attention to me because you thought I was homeless. And you thought I had nothing beneficial to give. And they, he, much longer story than all that, but you get the idea. We can judge on appearance. What an introduction to a congregation, huh? But the wisdom of the world is to judge on appearance. They will judge on appearance. They will judge you by the party that you vote for. Oh, you're a whatever? Well then, and they just put you in a category. Now we're going to judge you on that. When we follow after the world and judge people by outward appearances, we leave the wisdom of God. You left it. Because the wisdom of God doesn't do this. The wisdom of God does not lead you in a place to judge people by their outward appearance. It wants you to judge by the heart. Now how can I get this down? I didn't write this in your outline for you. How can I pray and ask for God's wisdom when I show a deliberate willingness to not follow it? Don't raise your hand, but how many people have been asking God for wisdom in a certain area? And yet, we will turn our back on the very wisdom of God and judge people by appearance. We will turn our back on the very wisdom of God and not believe the best in people. We will turn our, our back on the very wisdom of God and speak evil of others and put others down. If I will that quickly turn on the wisdom of God, why would God give me more, more wisdom? Why would he speak these things into my life? So if God is not speaking the wisdom to me because I have disregarded his wisdom, who is speaking the wisdom to me? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Envy, strife, and divisions. If our life can be characterized by envy, 
strife and divisions, what are we behaving like? Carnal. For when one says, I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now, carnality and immaturity go together with envy, strife, and division. Carnality and immaturity go together with envy, strife, and division. Fill this in for you. When I follow after carnality and immaturity, I become more prone to cause as well as become offended. When I follow after carnality and immaturity, I become more prone to cause offense as well as to become offended. This is what we'll do. Because you're an immature person. Now flip this around. Flip it around and look at it the other way. The more easily I am offended by people, the more I am walking in carnality and immaturity. All right, now if that didn't hit close enough to home, let me hone it in a little bit more. The more easily I am offended by my wife, the more easily I am offended by my husband. The more easily I am offended by my in-laws. The more easily I am offended by my neighbors. The more easily I am offended by my co-workers. The more easily I am offended by my boss. The more easily I am offended by other church people. The more I am walking in carnality and immaturity. That's just, that's your gauge. That's your barometer right there. Now you all came on over here. How many are aware of how much fuel is in your gas tank? How many have no idea how much, how much fuel is in your gas tank? You just didn't look. I don't see a single hand. Or maybe, maybe you know, isn't it amazing that we didn't need, most of us didn't need gas coming down here, but we all took notice of where the gauge was. How many of you on your way down here took notice of when your car, the temperature of the engine, hit enough on the meter that it's going to put out heat? How many took notice of that? Yeah, we, we, we took notice of those kind of things, don't we? Yeah. You see, if we took notice of these things on our trip over here for something as simple, you know, I don't need fuel, but I still, I took a look at the, the meter. I took a look at mine. I can tell you right now I have one-third of a gallon of uh, tank of gas in there. Now, my one-third of a, of a tank of gas is probably more than some of your cars hold altogether. <laughs> but but it, it's, I know I got about one-third, and I'll have to, to fill up sometime, but I didn't need to fill up today. If we are that aware of things in our cars, shouldn't we be that aware of our spiritual lives? And here is a meter. The more easily that you are offended by the people that are around you, the more you are walking in carnality and immaturity. The harder it is to get you offended, the less you are walking in carnality and immaturity. Walking in the way of carnality and immaturity, it is a way that we will have less support. You, everybody wants support, 
But if you walk in the way of carnality and immaturity, you will have less support. If you walk in the way of carnality and immaturity, you will be short. The friend, I'm sorry, short and and unhelpful will be your friendships. Short and unhelpful will be your friendships. And greater people problems will be yours. If you continue to walk in carnality and immaturity, you will have less support, you will have short and unhelpful friendships, and you will have greater people problems. The problem is not with them. The problem is with you. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The people in the world hear the messages of the word and they see it as foolishness. They'll hear Brother Creflo preach a message and they'll say, oh, that's stupid. They'll hear this one over here preach a message. Oh, that's stupid. That's foolish. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. Not God's wisdom, what they consider to be wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So if you've got unregenerated Jews, unregenerated Gentiles, they're going to see the message that is preached through God's servants as foolishness. And that includes you, not just, not just preachers. It's going to include people that you're just going out there and you tell people about what, what God is doing. You just speak what God is doing in your life. They're going to see it as foolishness. How many of you already know that? You already know, well, if I share this at work, they're going to laugh. They're not going to understand this. So Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, don't think that God has foolishness in him. He's just saying, if you could take the most foolish thing that God has, and really nothing that God has is foolish, but if you, if you could take something that was foolish to him, it would be wiser than anything man has. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. For you see your calling. Now look at this. He says, well, you see your calling. How many... T- Remember last week I told you I was going to tell you something. Anybody remember? Oh, appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> How many people have ever been saying, I, I still don't know what my calling is. I still don't know what God has asked me to do. I asked the Lord about this. I said, God, how is it to some people? We don't know necessarily why we're, what we're called to. We don't know necessarily what, would, what we are to do. And this dropped down in my spirit. How many of you know that there was a verse that Jesus taught? And he said, if you cannot be faithful in what is another person's, 
How can God entrust you with what is your own? Do you remember that verse? If you cannot be faithful with what is another person's, how can God entrust you with what is your own? And this dropped down on my spirit. People think they are faithful with what is someone else's, but most people do what they want with what is someone else's. They do what they want, not what they've been asked. Or they interpret what they've been asked in light of what they're willing to do. If I am not willing to be faithful with what is another's, how can God entrust me with what is my own? The reason that many people still do not know what their own calling is is because they have not passed the faithfulness test to be faithful with what is another's. Well, I'm so and so old. I've been serving God for all this time. Doesn't matter how old you are, it matters how faithful you've been. And the Word of God, back when we went over faithfulness, how many were here when we did the series on faithfulness? I don't know, we did like a quarter of a year on, on faithfulness. Almost half a year. I guess it was about half a year. About half a year we did on faithfulness. Many think they are faithful. But God says, God says, faithful are few. See, I think I'm faithful. I'm faithful to do what I want to do. I'm faithful to do what I think I ought to do. But am I faithful to do what God said to do? So, get Get busy being faithful. Find out what is it that I'm supposed to do and get out there and do it. Back when I was an assistant pastor, I met with the pastor on a number of, base, a number of occasions. What do you want to accomplish in this? What do you expect me to do with this? There were some areas of, of uh, teaching and he didn't believe the way that I believed, so I didn't teach it. I stayed out of it. This is his church. God gave it to him. We have to learn to be faithful because if I don't show God that I'll be faithful, then why would God give me anything more? Now look at this here, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble are called. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. What the world or the, those of the flesh would look at and they say, these are the noble people. These are the smart people. These are the wise people. Why is it that it seems like not too many of them are called and the ones that are called into the body of Christ are the ones that the world considers to be weak, not as strong, not as gifted? Because the people that are gifted have a tendency to rely on their own gift to rely on their own ability and to think in the wisdom of the world, I have all I need. Doesn't Jesus tell a few stories of people who think, I have all I need. I will build bigger barns and I will, be, I will say to myself, soul, you are set. <laughs> but you see, the people who realize I don't have what I need to make it through, I need God. Those are the ones that, got, that are open to a calling from God. Now, it doesn't mean that all people that have stuff 
that have ability, that have uh, natural talent, won't go in the way of God. But it sure seems like a, a lot of them will be. You look at the, uh, the sports world. NBA. Uh, well, NBA, I think, NBA is just, for me, is the poster child of it. How many people do you know, if you follow it at all, you don't have to follow it a whole lot, how many people do you know in the NBA that have a massive amount of talent and zero work effort? They won't work at it. They won't sacrifice. They won't put the effort out to make themselves better. But when you find those few athletes who are not only gifted, but are willing to put the time in, wow, they're off the charts good. Make sure you're willing to do the things that God says to do. Put the time in. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. You see your calling. You see that you've been called into salvation. You see you've been called into a place in the body of Christ. But you look around, and not many people that the world considers to be wise are following after this calling. They're going after their own way. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Foolish here means dull or stupid. Dull or stupid. The world looks at them and says, these, these are dull, these are stupid people. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. God says, I can take that one that you have despised as being stupid, as being foolish. I can take the one over here that you see as being weak, and I can beat you with them. David did that with his 600 men. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. I don't need you to have a whole lot of gifting, talent, or ability. I just need you to listen to me and do what I say to do and yield yourself to me and we can accomplish all kinds of stuff. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now there's a whole lot more in there that we're going to be able to get into. But I want you to get this part down. I reinforce carnality and spiritual immaturity. I reinforce it. It's in my life, but I reinforce it. Every time I allow envy into my thought process. Remember you were talking about people that are being envious, being drawn into that? Every time I allow envy, every time I look at somebody and say, oh, they have a gift I want to have. Oh, they have a ministry I want to have. Oh, they have a job I want to have. They have a car I want to have. They have something that I want to have and I envy and I covet. Every time I allow that to come in, I am reinforcing carnality and spiritual immaturity. Every time I instigate or side with a cause that brings strife. Get this down. Every time the enemy is able to use me to stir up strife, I am reinforcing carnality and spiritual immaturity in my life. Because I did not discern I shouldn't do this. Every time I stir up or become part of divisions, I reinforce carnality and spiritual immaturity in my life. Every time I limit my spiritual diet to the milk of the word, I reinforce carnality and spiritual immaturity in my life. Every time I alienate potential 
friends because I have judged something about them to be unbecoming, undesirable. I have looked upon them and I've seen their appearance. I don't want them in my life. They're this, they're that, whatever it might be. Every time I alienate certain potential friends, I reinforce spiritual immaturity and carnality in my life. You want to take a look at, at, at uh, immaturity and, and uh, spiritual maturity? Take a look at a child. Even if you have never had a child of your own, you were a child, you were around child, children, and I'll bet you have seen children even this week. And if you see a young child, I mean young, we're looking, you know, single digits, three, four, five, old enough to talk, old enough to interact, and you see that child, and that child wants certain things. I was uh, listening to a, a, a book by by um, John Maxwell. And um, I'll tell you what, if you ever want to read a book to help reinstill this, how to get the support team, that's not his topic, but his topic was, was basically how to connect. His book is how to connect. Uh, I think it's about 10 years old. Um, I was just going through it again. But he was talking about uh, the life of a toddler. In the mind of a toddler, if the, if the toddler can see it, it's mine. If it's in their hand, it's mine. If you have it and I want it, it's mine. If I think I need it, it's mine. If I had it, it's mine. And it, the, the, I think it went on for about 15 things. He, he was laid on. That's just the stuff I can remember. That's the mind of a toddler. That's the immature mind. You see that young child. Most of the time that you see a conflict involving a young child, it's because the young child, the toddler, wants something to be their way. But what happens when you see a young child begin to grow up, and I don't know what age that they, they do, maybe 8, maybe 9, maybe 26. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but somewhere along that line, they began to step outside of themselves, and they decided, I don't need this. I'm going to let them have it. I'm going to step up. And they, they did something, sacrificed what they wanted in order to make someone else happy. I mean, don't you stand back and take note? Wow. I mean, did you see that? What does that scream to us? Maturity. They are getting to a place of maturity. And yet in our own relationships, in our relationships with our spouses, in our relationships with our kids, in our relationships with our bosses, in our relationships with our co-workers, in our relationships with our neighbors, in our relationships with our in-laws, in our relationships with our outlaws, whoever it is that's in our life, I want this. And we call ourselves mature. If I saw that attitude in a three-year-old, I would know exactly what it is. Immaturity, selfishness, and as long as that child is going to continue that way, it's going to hold them back. But I think nothing of doing it myself. And I make selfish demands of my kids. I make selfish demands of my spouse. I make selfish demands of my boss. I make selfish demands 
of my neighbors. I make selfish demands of my coworkers. Wherever the relationship is in our life, we make selfish demands. I need it to be this way. I need you to do this. And we reinforce carnality and spiritual immaturity. If I keep reinforcing carnality and spiritual immaturity, how is God going to get the wisdom of God to me so that I can change my situation? If I continue to walk in carnality and spiritual maturity, who is more than likely the source I will listen to? Go back to our three-year-old. Here's our three-year-old. They're playing with something. And you, as an adult, speak wisdom to them. Now, Johnny, you've got to share. I don't want to share. Right? You see, God knows if I come to you and you're walking in carnality and spiritual maturity, though you think you are mature. These folks in this church, they thought they were mature, and they thought they were all there. They saw how much God was moving in their midst. Look at the things that we are doing. And Paul says, you are still carnal, you are still immature. How is it that I think that I can continue to reinforce carnality and spiritual immaturity in my life and still believe God is speaking to me about my situation? When will I come to realize that I'm probably not hearing from the right source? That three-year-old who's fighting over the toy, what source are they hearing from? Are they hearing from God? No, I can see just as clearly they are not hearing from God. They're being selfish and they're causing division and strife. But when I see the exact same thing in my life, I don't deal with it the same way. And I reinforce carnality and spiritual maturity. But I want to get to heaven and hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Now, if we don't get there and shed the immaturity and the carnality, I don't know what words we're hearing. I'm not telling you that you're going to hear, Be gone. I'm not telling you that you're going to hear that. I'm just saying, I know when I get there, that's the, that's the words I want to hear. How many of you want to hear that word? Good and faithful. I want to hear good and faithful servant. I want to hear it. I, oh, I want to hear it with everything in me. But in order to do that, I have got to get rid of carnality and spiritual immaturity. I've got to. I've got to. Now, next week, we're going to get together on this thing. I'm going to show you some things on maturity. What are the signs of a person who is mature? It may surprise you. I asked God this question, what kind of signs are it? And he started pouring some things to me. I'm not ready to talk about the list yet. I still want him to minister to me. I might, might be changing it. I might get more understanding on it. But by next week, I know I'll have the understanding that I, that I need to have on it. it. It's there. I wrote it down for it. And I, I, just, I just want to hear it. Because I, I want to know exactly what it is. Because if I can see the signs of what a mature person is, then I know what I need to work on in my life. I know what I need to do. Because too many times we're working on things that are not going to help us. Now most people who do things for God think of themselves as spiritual and mature because of the things they are doing for God. Most children that are acting immature think that what they are doing is right 
justified and not immature at all. How many of you would agree with that? The little kids, they think that what they're doing is right. They think that what they're doing and what they feel is completely justified. And you know what, folks? We as immature Christians are walking exactly the same way. I think that what I am doing is right. I think that what I am doing is justified. And I do not see myself as being immature at all. But if I can come to the realization of what's going on in my life, God can help me. God can fix it. God can turn it around. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I know that your goal for us is that we become spiritually mature. That we leave carnality behind and we pick up the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That we walk in the way that the Spirit would lead us. Because as long as we walk in carnality and spiritual immaturity, we think the things that we hear, the things that come to our spirit, the things that come to our mind, the things that enter into our thoughts, we think they are of you. And we act on them as such. And it continues to cause division in our marriages, division with our kids, division with our co-workers, division with our bosses, division with our neighbors, division with the rest of our family. Because we're not listening to the wisdom that comes from above. We're listening to an earthly, sensual wisdom. But we think comes from you and we put up no defenses to it and we think we are walking in the way of spiritual maturity but all we are doing is reinforcing a carnal mind and carnal actions but you can change all this you can lead us out of carnality you can lead us out of spiritual immaturity and set us on a road to become mature that we don't bring strife into relationships we bring peace we bring help and we don't look at people as having no good we look at people with an eye to find the good because if I can find the good in them they will bring that good into my life and I can bring some good into this Help us this week, Father, to look at the people that are in our lives, our spouses, our children, our co-workers, our bosses, our neighbors, our family members. Help us to see the good that is in them. Help us to see the good that you see in them. And help us to encourage that in their life. Give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Oh, I hope you, you set out to do this. To be very contrary to the way that the world says to go. But it's very much the way that God says to go. Look for where you can replace the strife with the peace that God has given. Don't stir up trouble. Stir up God in us. Be the good in the people's lives that are around you. They set out to find the good in theirs. Have a good rest of your week.
um, good to see Jackie back on Social Kitchen. Hit you up on things that are going on.